0: This is the Life Church podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. All right, so we are in this series called As You Go, where we've been talking about being a witness and what it looks like to be a witness for Christ, and that, you know, you're sharing your faith with people around you. Last week, we talked, you know, we were in 1 Peter, and we talked about being a person of conviction and compassion. Okay? When I say conviction, I mean that you have firmly held beliefs, that you hold on to those beliefs. But at the same time, when you're engaging people who do not share your faith, who do not know what, you're, what, you, what you believe, that you approach them with compassion, with love, right? I, I, I would venture off to say that there's not a single person in this room that came to faith in Christ because somebody had a Bible and they were beating you over the head with it saying, you're a sinner, you failed, you failed, you failed, you failed, you failed, right? How many of you have been saved that way? None of us, right? That's not how we come to faith in Christ. Most of us, if not all of us, come to faith in Christ because we are in a place where we need to experience the love of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of our Heavenly Father. We are in a place where we desperately need that. And then suddenly, we, we, somebody introduces Christ to us and we, we experience forgiveness and his love and his compassion. And then we start on this journey towards towards understanding who he is and having these convictions, these, these commitments, right? A good example of that we talked about last week was Jesus and the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. I mean, she was caught in the act, the Bible says. She was caught in the act. She was guilty of the sin of adultery. There was no question about it. And she was thrown at Jesus' feet, and Jesus responds this way. Instead of beating her down, instead of doing what the Bible, pres- what, you know, what the Old Testament prescribes is to stone her to death. Instead of doing that, he stands between her and the religious bullies and says, I don't condemn her. Now, it sounds shocking, but that's exactly what Jesus does. And then he turns to her, after all the accusers leave, he turns to her and he says, now you go and sin no more. Conviction, compassion. And that's what we've been invited to, to live, right? Peter continues to challenge, we're going to stay in Peter. Peter continues to challenge us uh, as to our witness. And he says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, he says, always be prepared to give an answer. Always be prepared to give an answer. Always be ready to give a defense, to, to, to give a reply to everyone who asks you to give the reason or an explanation of, for the hope that you have. So, Peter encourages you and I that we should always be ready to have an answer, to give a, give a reply, to tell somebody about our hope, not about our Christian worldview. That's not what he's talking about. We're not supposed to be ready to, and prepared to give an answer for why we voted the way we voted in the last election. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about being prepared to give an answer or a reply for the hope that we have. Or the life that we've been living in Christ and why we live this way and why sometimes our life has a little bit of a counterculture kind of angle towards it. Why is, it that, why is that the case? Well, it's because we have a hope in Jesus Christ and we need to be prepared and ready to give an answer for that. That's what Peter's encouraging them. And today what I want to do is I'm going to, it's going to be a little bit of a different kind of sermon today. Because normally what I do is I, I, I the way I like to prepare sermons is I find a passage of scripture that I'm going to speak about that's kind of related to, to the series. And then I kind of dive into that passage and I talk about basically what is, the, what is that passage saying? What did it say back then? What is it saying to us today? And how can we walk away with some nuggets of truth and, some, and some, maybe some inspiration on how we can live that, that passage out? Well, today we're not going to re- really be doing that because what we're going to be focusing on today is we're going uh, to we're gonna talk about how to talk about the Bible when the Bible is the point of discussion. Okay? Okay. So how do we talk about the Bible when the point of discussion is actually the Bible or the reliability of the Bible? How do we talk about it, right? That's what we're going to do. I don't know if you've been, ever been in a situation like this, a conversation like this, where somebody says, hey, why do you pray? I mean, really, you give money to your church? Why do you do that? I heard about this Kingdom Builders thing, and you like, you pledged a lot of money to them. Are you, are you kidding me? Why do you, that seems really crazy to people, Right? and they ask you those questions, and you oftentimes you feel like you're off guard because you don't know how to answer that question. Or maybe you have a way to answer that question, but you kind of give a little bit of a, the way you answer that question is by giving a verse or two, right? And Typically, for most Christians, the way we respond to questions or, or doubts about our faith, the way we typically respond is, well, I do this, I say this, I live this way, I act this way because the Bible says so that's usually our default answer. Well, because the Bible says so. That's why I do it, right? And it feels like it's solid ground. It feels like it's something that I can hold on to, obviously. The Bible says so, and so therefore I can hold on to that. That's often how we respond. It's our default. When I was a, when I was a brand new Christian, I was, I was young. I was like 19 years old and um, I was working with my uncle, I had an uncle, uh, my, my uncle's name is Rafael, that's his first name, but nobody called him Rafael, uh, we, we all grew up calling him Papito, Tio Papito, that's how we knew him, and Papito was, uh, you know, he was the youngest, youngest of my, my mother's siblings, you know, and... And he's, a, you know he 's a good guy he 's a great guy, they grew up Catholic, you know the whole family grew up Catholic, although my uncle would have been more like a what you call a priester, you know what a priester is, Christmas and Easter, you know he only went to church Christmas and Easter you know that's and even then he really was like he was like you know he didn't he didn 't he didn't really want to go, but that's what this was. He married my aunt Elsie who elsie is uh, was a very devout Catholic, and so Elsie you know she uh she went to church. Now, my, my uncle just Christmas and Easter if that happened. My aunt was like two to three times a week. And that's pretty unusual for a Catholic, actually. But that's what she would do. She was very, very devout. Very involved. And so one day, some uh, Jehovah's Witness showed up at my, my uncle's house. My aunt uh, was there and, and uh, basically convinced my aunt that everything that she had believed up to that point was false. And... She converted to Jehovah, became a Jehovah's Witness, and she is that to this day, and her kids are as well. Now that was kind of good news for my uncle, because now my uncle didn't even have to go to Christmas and Easter anymore, you know, because they don't celebrate that, you know. So he didn't even have to go to church anymore, and so I knew this about my 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 uncle and my aunt, and so I thought, you know, I'm on my way to work one day. I'm going to just going to I'm going to share my faith with my uncle. I'm going to sit in this car we're driving, and he's driving, and I'm going to talk to him about about why I serve Jesus, why I follow Jesus. And so I began talking to him, you know, and, and, and so he, he responds back, so, so you really believe what's in the Bible? That's what he said to me. And I'm like, yeah, of course I do. He says, well, let me ask you a question. Will my cat, he had a cat, like a 12-year-old cat, he goes, will my cat go to heaven? Now, I have no skin in the game when it comes to cats, so I had a real quick answer for that one. no. You know, because I'm not a cat person. Sorry, you cat lovers. I'm not trying to offend you. I'm not trying to offend you. But, but I. But well, honestly, honestly, I was stumped. I was like, I don't know the answer to this question, right? And I'm a new Christian, you know. So how do I know, how do I answer this question, right? So so I'm like, uh, well, uh, I'm fumbling around, and finally this. This stroke of brilliance hit me. It's like, whoa, I know what it is. Humans have an eternal soul, and cats don't have, and I don't know where that came from, but that's what, what my reasoning was, and cats don't have an eternal soul. Therefore, no, cats aren't going to heaven because they don't have an eternal, that's what I said to him, you know? And my uncle, this was his response. I am word for word how he responded to me. He goes, well, wait a minute. How do, I not, how do I know that that Moses one time, one day, back in, you know, back, 4,000 years ago, whatever, wasn't standing behind a tree taking a leak. That's what he said. Sorry, Sorry, online audience for using that language. And then suddenly, a cat jumped out of the woods and scratched him. And then Moses stepped back and goes, cats aren't going to heaven. And he wrote it in this book. And it became part of the Bible. How do I know that? That's what my uncle was asking. Here's what my uncle was saying. How do I know that what's written in this book is reliable? How do I know that? There's some of you that you've decided that you just don't talk about your faith. Because you don't want to get stumped like that. You don't want somebody to throw a question at you and like, oh man, I can't even answer that. I have no idea. There might even be some of you here right now that you attend church faithfully but you are struggling as well with the reliability of what's written in this book. Some of you trusted what was written in this book till your first philosophy class in college, right? And that professor just convinced you. Maybe very strongly convinced you that you really can't you can't believe what's written in this book. I mean, maybe he took on the angle of the literal six day creation. How can that possibly be? Or he, talk, took, he took on this idea of the supernatural and how miracles happen and all of that. And the, that's just all myth. And so your faith, like a, like a house of cards, he starts challenging Genesis over here. And you're like, okay, I don't know. Uh, you know, if he pulls that Genesis card out, the whole thing comes tumbling down. And suddenly Genesis got pulled out and now you're not sure if Luke is actually truthful and real and reliable. So the question for us today is, is this really God's word? That's why we're taking a little bit different angle because, you know, how do we talk about this being God's word by using God's word, (laughs) right? Let me tell you what I think. I believe this book is the word of God. In fact, I have patterned my life after what is written in this book for the last 30 plus years of my life. But I believe it not because the Bible says so. I believe this is God's word. Now, some of you, you know, somebody comes to you and they ask you the question, yeah, so so what is it you believe? You say, Yeah, I believe the Bible. I believe it it is God's word. And they'll say to you, Well, wait a minute. Doesn't it say in God's word that you should stone, parents should stone rebellious children, like stone them to death? Or immoral women should be stoned to death? And you're like, oh, well, uh, and you're fumbling around. Yeah, well, kind of like Old Testament says that. Yeah, well, we don't do that. Oh, so so the Old Testament says, so you don't do the old stuff, you just do the new stuff, right? You like pick and choose what you do, right? You're like, uh, I think I think my I think my wife's calling. I gotta go, you know. That, that's what happens, right? We get into those conversations and we're like, I don't know what to say here. We get stumped. See, I think many of us live here. We believe it, but we're not exactly sure how to defend it. So I wanna propose a reason why we take this book seriously. And we're gonna focus in first on the Old Testament. Because I, oftentimes that's where the problems surface, right? You read the Old Testament, you see so much history from, the, from four and 5,000 years ago that you're like, I don't relate to any of this. I don't get any of this. I don't understand. Like Ryan talked about Elisha and the the army around him. You know, like, okay, this has nothing to do with my everyday life. And so it's easy to discredit the Old Testament. And like I said, it's this house of cards. You pull out one, then the rest comes tumbling down. How can you possibly believe any of it, right? So the Old Testament, why do I take the Old Testament seriously? I take the Old Testament seriously not because it's in the Bible. It is. But I take the Old Testament seriously because Jesus, my Lord and Savior, took it seriously. Jesus took the Old Testament seriously. In other words, let me explain it this way. None of you became a Christian because somebody handed you a a copy of Genesis, the book of Genesis, the first first book in the Bible, handed you a copy of the book of Genesis and said, read this. And you started reading like, oh, this is pretty awesome. And you liked it, you know, you kind of read through and you say, what's next? And they handed you Exodus and then you read through Exodus. you Oh, wow, that's really cool. What's next? And then they handed you Leviticus and you're like, man, this is confusing, <laughs> right? You read Leviticus, right? And, you know, and, you're not, and you're like, okay, so what's next? I hope, I hope it's better news. And so then they hand you numbers and you're like, okay, it's a little bit better news than Leviticus, but still it's kind of confusing, Right. And then they give you Deuteronomy. and like, okay, finally we get into some cool stories. and, And you're like, awesome, what's next? And they give you Joshua and so on and so on. Is that how any of you became a Christian? Where you actually read every single book in the Bible, verified it, and then said, okay, this is God's word, and therefore now I'm a Christian. None of us came to faith that way. Not a single one of us. Every one of us came to faith because somebody introduced us to Jesus. Met us in a time of need. Maybe your body was sick, you had cancer or something, and God stepped in in a miraculous way and healed your body. Maybe your marriage was falling apart. We have many stories in this congregation of people whose marriages were falling apart. And they gave their life to Christ, and suddenly their marriages started getting restored. And before long, they're just loving each other. Now they're even teaching other people about how to live awesome married lives. You met Jesus, and your life began to change. That's how you became a Christian. And then after you became a Christian, somebody handed you this book called the Bible, and you're like, okay, what's this? He said, well, it's going to be kind of confusing to read it, but here's the deal. If you want to know more about this Jesus, you read it here. And that's how we began to enter into this. So the point is this. The reason I take the Old Testament seriously it's because Jesus took the Old Testament seriously. In fact, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. And the law of the prophets would be almost the entirety of the Old Testament. <clears throat> I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In other words, look, I didn't come to, like, diss on the Old Testament. That's not what I came to do. I've come actually to fulfill what was written in the Old Testament, So through this, you understand that Jesus apparently believed that this, at least the Old Testament, right? The first 39 books of the Bible were actually actually God-inspired. They were were God's word to him, okay? Now, as a Christian, the reason I take the Old Testament seriously is because Christ took the Old Testament This is part of being prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have is understanding how to talk about this book when this book is the point of discussion, Right? I realize it's hard. You know, you read the Old Testament. It spans 4,000 years. It's, uh, you know, there's a lot of cultural things that you don't quite get. But we believe it because Christ believed it. And I realize, you, 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 as I'm saying this, I know there's some of you out there, you're, you're like me. You're kind of very critical thinkers. You're like, wait a minute, Rich. Isn't this like circular reasoning? Like you're using the Bible to prove that the Bible is true? <laughs> yeah, like that's, that's, that doesn't work, right, by the way, just so you know. Like when you say to somebody, hey. Uh, you shouldn't do this, and they say, "Well, why?" because the Bible says so. Well, how do you know the Bible is true? Well, because the Bible says so. It doesn't work, right? So you have to understand why you do this. So it, that's not why. That's not why I believe this is true. Okay, the word "Bible" comes from a Latin word, which comes from a Greek word. The Greek word is "biblos," which simply just means books. So when you read Holy Bible, it means holy books. We should have called it holy books. That way it wouldn't be so much mystique around it, right? Essentially what you get from that is that there was this collection of books, manuscripts. In fact, I've got them up here. There's 66, Genesis all the way to Revelation, all right? Um, Genesis to Malachi would be the Old Testament, and so Genesis of Malachi spans about 4,000 years. And these, these books all were standalone writings. Some of them were historical in nature, and they got archived with, uh, with governments and stuff like that. They were kept in, ar- in archives to, to be able to co- chronicle the history of the, of the nation. Others were like more, more uh, you know, like wisdom literature or songs or poetry. And those, kept, those also kept archived because certain, c- certain special people wrote them. There's prophetic writings, there's, when I mean prophetic writings, not just like, you know, uh, foretelling, but foretelling, there's prophets who came and they spoke God's word, and they, they challenged God's people, and, they, and those, were, those were kept in writing, and all of those were individual books that got collected, and then somewhere around 400 A.D., or just, just there about to 300 A.D., or B.C., I'm sorry, uh, they, they, somebody came along and they put them together. And they compiled them into what is today known as the Hebrew Old Testament or the the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish Bible. And Jesus, when he's referring to the scriptures, that's what he's talking about, those first 39 books. And then Jesus comes along and he starts preaching and teaching. And those who are with him, who are seeing it, you know, they... the the woman, I talked last week about this woman caught in the act of adultery, they throw him at Jesus' feet. You see, the reason we have that story, the reason we know about that story is because there were some people around Jesus that saw it. And after the fact, they went ahead and wrote about it and testified to it and said, this is it. And then it was corroborated. Other people talked, oh yeah, do you remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. And they kind of got their story together and said, that's exactly what happened. And this turned into the Gospels. And then after Jesus died and was resurrected, then what happens is there's all these people who, who knew Jesus, who experienced Jesus, plus others who, who knew, people who knew Jesus, they also start writing. And it's what we call now the later New Testament. Here's what you need. All of these documents existed before there was a Bible. All of these documents existed before there was this book that you hold in your hands right now. Okay, So it's not like this thing just fell out of the sky 5,000 years ago and boom, we have the Bible. That's not what happened. There's these documents that got written together and they got compiled together. Here's a very important distinction that you need to get in this whole message. And I realize this might be a little bit drier than normal, but just just track with me a little bit, okay? A Christian doesn't believe the Gospels are reliable because they're in the Bible. That's not why I believe the Gospels are reliable, the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I don't believe they're reliable because they're in the Bible. I believe that they're included in the Bible because they were considered reliable. Right, getting into some deep waters, but there was a lot of other stories out there that just didn't match up. People who would write two, 300 years later about a gospel about Jesus, but he was two, 300 years removed. How, how would they know? And those got excluded. These right here Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, were reliable, and that's why they got included in the Bible. The Gospels were included because they were the authentic words of Jesus Christ. Here's what you need to understand. As we read the the Gospels today, they existed as a collection around 25 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The story of Matthew, Mark, Luke. John came a little bit later, but John was around during this time. The story of Matthew, Mark, and Luke existed, okay? They weren't considered, they weren't called the Gospels, it wasn't called the Bible. It was called the, the testimony of Matthew, the testimony of Luke, kind of like a courtroom kind of uh, uh, language that they would use. And so they were, they were precious. They were handwritten, and they w- would be duplicated so that other Christians could read, and they would be tr- moved around to all these churches and say, hey, this is what Matthew wrote about Jesus, and they would read it. This is what Luke wrote about Jesus, and they would read it. And this is how they held on to This, this is how it got, it got transmitted throughout, right? The Gospels are considered reliable because of who wrote them and when they were written. Jesus died somewhere around 31, 32 A.D. He was crucified. We know that by 60 A.D., the Gospels were actually already a collection. So some 30 years had passed or so since, since that. And that's what gives authenticity to it. That people who actually witnessed the death and resurrection of Christ, people who actually witness the, the miracle stories, people who actually witnessed they're the ones who wrote it all down. And they're the ones who transmitted. They're the ones who passed it along. Right? Now, one of the arguments against the Bible is that it's a myth. Right? That you, have you, how many of you have heard that? This is all just a myth. Especially some of the Old Testament stories, you know, that, you know, they, 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 just, they just seem, you know, there's this, in fact, there's this movement called the demythologizing of the scriptures, you know, or demythologizing of Jesus. They try to take all of the supernatural out of Jesus, kind of make him just this historical human figure. Scholars tell us, historians tell us that for a myth to develop, at least 90 to 100 years have to pass after the story. Why is that? Anybody know why? because the antagonists and the protagonists of the story have to die <laughs> so that when you start changing the story, they don't come along and say, wait a minute, what, what, what are you saying? That, that's not what happened. That's not how it happened. They have to be removed out of the picture so that you can then change history. We know that, for example, about 75 years ago, the Jewish Holocaust happened. Now, because of modern technology, we have ready access to video. We know when it happened. We, know, we actually could see videos of it actually happen, happening. When I was a kid, say 45, 50 years ago, somebody said, I don't know if the, the Holocaust actually did happen. If they would say that, it would be easy for some a survivor to stand up and say, wait a minute, what are you talking about? I was there. I was at Auschwitz when that happened. I saw it. I have family members who died. Look at, my, look at the tattoos on my body. Look at the markings on my body. I'm telling you, I was there. You cannot deny the fact that it happened. And yet, in the last 10 to 15 years, there's there's been this movement to say that the factualness of the Holocaust, is is, they're they're, they're bringing it into question. They're saying that it really didn't happen. There's a lot of propaganda, really. And that stuff didn't really happen. Well, it's ludicrous, right? Because we have documentation of it. We know it happened. We, saw, we didn't see it personally, but we know people who saw it and documented it, and that's why we believe it. That's why the stories of the Holocaust are reliable to us, right? Now, what we know is that through various forms of critical methods, that the Gospels as we have them today can be traced, again, like I said, 20 to 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So around 60 AD, they were already formulated. And you might think, well, 20 to 30 years, Rich, that's a long time, Right? A lot can happen in 20 or 30 years. Yeah, it's a long time if you're like in your 30s, right? But if you're in your 60s, it's not not that long of a time. Like, for example, 40 years ago, there was a girl by the name of Susan Sullivan. I was 15 years old, and I had a crush on Susie Sullivan. I was a ninth grader. She was a 10th grader. That That was even better. And so I... Mustered up the courage to go ask Susie out on a date, and I did. And so we decided we were going to go to we we're going to eat pizza and go watch a movie. So we went to a place called Bigotes Pizza, which is a pizza place, and I don't know if it's still around, but it used to be around in in the city of Panama, Panama City. And then we went to watch a movie. We watched Close Encounter of the Third Kind. Boring movie. Don't ever watch it. It's the worst movie in the world. I guess great movie uh, date, <laughs> but boring movie, right? And so that's what we did. And my mom and my dad had to take us because I was 15 years old, and and you know they were protective, and they didn't want, they you know they didn't want me. Anyways, you know what I'm saying. After the movie, you know, it all kind of came to an end. I took, we went home, they took us, my parents took us, to, took, you know, took us to her house to drop her off. We went up the stairs. I remember, I remember going up the stairs and knocking on the door. The dad opened the door and he grabbed her by the hand, pulled her in and then he looked at me and says, never come to my house again. <laughs> I never saw Susie again. <laughs> I just told you a story that is 40 years old. And there's no denying this story. It's authentic. In fact, if you don't want to believe me, that's fine. You can ask my mom. She's still alive. She'll tell you. you ask my brothers. They know. They witnessed it. If you can track Susie Solomon down, I don't know where she's at. I haven't kept in touch with her. But if you track her down, she'll probably tell you a variation of that story too. <laughs> might be some part she may not want to tell you. But anyways, you know. And that's really non-essential history. And this is why we take the gospel seriously. Because somebody saw it, witnessed it, and wrote it down. And said, This is important for us to know. And they said, well, Let's pass it on to others. Let me just summarize this, it's just a simple wrap up. Here's how you can talk about the Bible when the Bible is in question, okay? First of all, the Old Testament. I believe the Old Testament. I believe in the Old Testament. Why? Not because it's in the Bible. I believe in the Old Testament because Jesus believed in the Old Testament. Jesus consistently quotes the Old Testament. Jesus consistently says, you can pattern your life after what's taught in the Scriptures. And I believe Jesus because Matthew believed in Jesus. Matthew talked about Jesus. Luke talked about Jesus. Peter talked about Jesus. James, I mean, here's a, here's a little caveat. James, his own brother, okay, now, what would it take for you to convince your younger brother that you are his Lord? seriously I have four brothers i would they 'd punch me that 's what would happen right and obviously i 'm not Jesus either you know but James was convinced that Jesus was his Lord. why? Because of the death and resurrection. He saw him alive. He saw him dead and he saw him alive. It's an actual event that happened in human history. So next time you're at your Thanksgiving meal and you have your crazy uncle there and he starts with that, that rant about, yeah, the Bible, this, it's all a bunch of myth and six days, little creation, that's crazy, whatever. You know, he goes on that, down that path. You can just stop and say, okay, uncle, crazy uncle. Um, yeah. So the reason I believe the Old Testament is because actually Jesus believed in the Old Testament. You don't have a problem with Jesus, do you? I don't think so, because most people don't have a problem with Jesus. If you have a problem, even in our world today, if you say you have a problem with Jesus, people look at you like, you're an idiot. Sorry, camera. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) And so, and the reason I, I believe Christ, the reason I believe Jesus is because Matthew said so, Luke said so, Mark said so, they all witnessed it, they all saw it and they all wrote it down. So I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead, not because it's in the Bible. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead because Matthew testified of that. Luke testified of that. 500 people, in fact, testified of it. It was written, documented, and it was passed on to us. That's why my hope is in Christ. That's why I've chosen to follow Christ. I love the scriptures. Over the years of my life, I've read this book, and there's been times where I've read it, and it's like the Holy Spirit has just taken the words off the page and just leapt off into my heart, and it was a word for me at that moment. My faith is not in this book. My faith is actually an event in human history, the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's why I believe that this is God's word. Because Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, let's all stand. I want to challenge you to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. And sometimes when the Bible comes in, look, you're going to have to study this thing. You're going to have to get into it. You're going to have to know what it it says internally. But I also challenge you to study it externally as well. How did this book come about? I wish I would have had two to three weeks to talk about this. It's a fascinating history of how the Bible actually came into the form. It was just a bunch of copies, a bunch of different books that got compiled together until finally we have this book in, in English language. It's a book that has revolutionized my life. It's changed the way I ha- how I treat my wife, how I raise my kids, how I handle my finances, how I live my ethical behavior every single day has come from reading this book. And I believe this book is reliable. Because Christ believed it was reliable. Next week we're going to talk a little bit about the problem of pain and suffering. And um, I don't know if you've ever had the question, or say, hey, or they've said the statement, "I can't believe in God because in in your God because what kind of God would allow this kind of pain and suffering to happen in the world?" You ever heard that one before? Of course you have. So we're going to talk about that next week. But today the challenge is eat this book. Not literally. But he is good. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your grace, your loving kindness. We thank you, Father, that you have given us a reliable witness. A reliable witness of your life, Jesus, of how you you lived, you moved, you 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 healed the sick, you spoke life into those who were lost and broken. We thank you, Father, for Passing that on to us, Lord, it has transformed our lives. Now, two thousand years removed, we thank you, God, for this book. We ask God that you would help us to to, to consume it, Lord, to eat it, to, to to devour it, Father, to let it let it influence every aspect of our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name.